Listener Production. The following episode contains elements which may cause distress to some listeners. If it does, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. SANE Australia on 1800 187263 or your GP or healthcare professional. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. Your dad will finally die and you'll be relieved. When I was eight years old, I came to the sad realisation that I was never going to be one of those incredible kids on the news who manages to call the authorities in a time of crisis. Like those freak hero toddlers who can barely talk but somehow call an ambulance when their mum has an unexpected seizure. And there's always time pressure, like oil boiling on the stove that would have burned the whole house down if the kid hadn't been so calm and brilliant and skilled with a phone. There are even miracle dogs that have managed to alert the appropriate authorities when their owners are choking on their frozen meals for one. I was always so impressed by those feel-good time-filler packages on the news and assumed that if ever faced with the same kind of it's-all-up-to-you-now scenario involving an incapacitated adult, I would handle the situation with skill and aplomb. So it was with a heavy heart that I was forced to accept I was not a freak hero toddler. I wasn't even a miracle dog. Because when I was eight, I saw my grandpa fall over, I was the only person who could help, and I froze. There is something extremely unsettling about seeing an old person fall over. When a young person falls over, it's funny, if not a bit cringeworthy. But when an old person falls over, it's just sad. It makes even the most well-adjusted among us look for some kind of way out. I know for certain, even if they don't admit it, that there are many people on this earth who have suddenly pretended to be extremely interested in their fingernails when an old person stacks it in their vicinity. But even worse than being an adult trying to handle the social torture that is an old person falling over is being a kid trying to handle the social torture that is an old person falling over. When you're that young, you still think picking your nose in public is okay so long as you use the proper etiquette. You sure as hell don't know the appropriate action to take when an elderly person does something very sad and embarrassing in front of you. I had hoped that when faced with a situation that could almost certainly end up with me being a hero on the local news, I would rise to the challenge. Instead, as my grandpa was flailing on the kitchen floor, I panicked and woke up my dad. That decision would result in my grandpa ending up in hospital and my dad ending up in the morgue. It was school holidays, so Rhiannon and I had made our usual pilgrimage to Tumut. Other kids went to the Gold Coast. We went to hang out with two drunk guys in a town with no McDonald's. Even though dad lived with his father in what was essentially a pub disguised as a house, mum continued to send us to stay there. It was like being sent to a scotch-soaked prison. We would spend our days watching Dad and Grandpa get uncontrollably drunk, praying they wouldn't suggest going out in public. The best we could hope for was getting through the week without having to walk down the street with someone who only had a 50-50 chance of staying upright. Every holiday was essentially a run-out-the-clock situation. I would spend each trip trying to keep my toxic butterflies in check, counting down the days until I could go home and not be on the constant verge of nervous vomit. Now, because I was stuck in the kid equivalent of leaving Las Vegas, my entire life became consumed by this new toy I had, which I'm 99% sure my dad would have stolen for me. It was a closed flower, but when you turned a key, it would slowly open and a fairy would rise out of the middle. I had seen it on TV for weeks and dreamed about being the girl in the ad who says, magical, and only you have the key. 
I think this dream was more about my desperation to be on TV than it was for the toy, but I wanted the damn flower thing anyway. I would spend hours opening and closing it, imagining that I was the fairy, but the fairy was a famous singer and the flower was a stage. I couldn't give a fuck about the magic. I was all about a successful career. I had decided pretty young that whatever I grew up to do, it would A, involve an Oscar, and B, earn me enough money to buy a house so that I would never have to move again. The magic lockable flower fairy thing had also been a pretty good distraction for the week, which, when hanging out with my dad, was always desperately needed. It was the night before Rhiannon and I were going home, and that toy had successfully stopped me from wanting to nervous vomit on more than one occasion. When Dad suggested we go fishing after he'd had 17 drinks, I would just unlock the flower and imagine myself emerging onto a stage, the first ever person to be accepting an Oscar, Grammy, Emmy and Tony on the same night. It didn't need to make sense, it just needed to involve copious amounts of glory. My dad could barely stand up, a girl needs her escapism. So there I was, on our last night in Tumut, sitting on the couch and enjoying picturing myself rising like a phoenix out of the flower with enough money in my bank account to buy a house that I could live in forever. It was imaginative bliss. Then Grandpa fell over. I froze. Rhiannon and Dad had gone to bed, so I was the only one available to deal with this situation, and I was at a loss. My immediate instinct was to give Grandpa his privacy. To me, falling over was on par with shitting yourself in the embarrassment stake, so I figured he would probably just want me to focus on my toy and pretend like I hadn't seen anything. I was perfectly happy for him to get up, leave the room, and have us never speak of the incident again. But then I realised he couldn't get up, and that meant things were in a whole new league. Surely, as an eight-year-old with a serious escapism complex, the responsibility of helping this old man up off the kitchen floor couldn't fall to me. What would the logistics of my lifting him even involve? I'd heard of mothers who had found the strength to lift cars to save their babies, but my love for Grandpa must have been compromised because I was feeling no such strength. Then I realised I'd been sitting on my ass for 30 seconds while an old frail man was struggling to get up off the floor. What kind of person was I? Do something, Rosie, I kept saying to myself. Help him! But my brain had gone into complete meltdown, and I was still sitting on the couch, now contemplating my utter lack of usefulness in a crisis, as well as just generally as a human being when he started to call out for help. My grandpa was lying on the floor in the kitchen. He couldn't get up and he was crying out for my help. This was it. I knew this was the point where I had to move. But having now accepted that I was clearly not the person to offer any kind of assistance in an emergency situation, I did the only other thing I could think of. I woke up my dad. I had no idea what chain of events I would set in motion. I was a little girl, it was late and my grandpa had fallen over. It was confronting, I was scared, and more than a little disappointed in myself for missing my chance to be a hero on the news. I just did what I thought was right. Dad woke up and saw me panicked. I explained what had happened and he was furious. At first I assumed he was furious at me for not handling the situation myself, but then he told me to get into bed and he picked up a cricket bat from the corner of the room. That's when I realised he wasn't angry with me, he was angry with Grandpa. As he walked out of the room, cricket bat in hand, he told me not to be scared. Rhiannon woke up and started to cry, which seemed to make him even more furious. He said he was going to fix it, that soon Grandpa wouldn't be scaring us anymore. I realised immediately, toxic butterflies swarming my entire body, that I had made the wrong decision in getting my dad involved. But I didn't say anything. I just got into the bed with Rhiannon like I was told and lay there in silence as Dad walked down the hall with the cricket bat. I lay there in silence and listened to Grandpa screaming as Dad beat him in the kitchen. I didn't say a word when Rhiannon became hysterical. 
I didn't say a word when dad came back to bed and told us that he'd fixed the problem. I didn't ask dad why he was hurting grandpa. I didn't ask if he'd helped get him up. I didn't say anything when dad picked up the cricket bat and went back to the kitchen over and over and over again. I just lay there, petrified in complete silence as the abuse went on for hours. And all the way through, dad kept coming back to the bedroom, acting like our hero, acting like the cricket bat was his secret weapon and that it would protect us from harm, telling us that it was going to be okay, that he wouldn't let grandpa scare us anymore. The more we cried, the more determined he became to protect us. And the more determined he became, the faster he would disappear from our room with the cricket bat. Eventually, after hours of dad going to and from the kitchen, Rhiannon and I realised that the only way to stop the attack was to stop crying, to stop showing that we were afraid, and to pretend that we were asleep. We weren't hero toddlers, we weren't miracle dogs, and that was the only plan we could think of. If dad couldn't see us crying, maybe he'd stop. So as we lay in bed together, holding each other, listening to grandpa's shrieks of pain as the cricket bat made contact with his body again and again, Rhiannon and I closed our eyes and tried to sleep. I was shocked when grandpa joined us for breakfast the next morning. He walked slowly and was covered in bruises. He winced in pain as he sat down and my dad looked up and casually said, geez dad, those are some nasty bruises. Did you fall out of bed last night? Grandpa looked back at him square in the eyes. Yeah, Tony, I did. I fell out of bed. Rhiannon and I exchanged a very brief glance, frightened that anything longer would blow the delicate ruse the four of us sitting at the table had decided to accept. Grandpa had fallen out of bed, and now it was the morning, and we were eating breakfast. I didn't understand why my dad had been so cruel or why he seemed to truly believe that Grandpa had fallen out of bed. I didn't understand a lot about my dad until years later when my grandpa, by then sober and living a happy and peaceful life, let slip one day that my dad had been diagnosed with juvenile schizophrenia. He told me that dad had been an incredibly gifted student, popular, smart, captain of the debate team, talented writer, topped the state in English more than once, blah, blah, blah. It basically sounded like he was one of those kids you want to punch in the face because they're so good at everything. But apparently when he moved to Sydney to attend university, something in him snapped. He called his parents one day in a panic from a phone box, naked and wrapped in a bedsheet. They travelled from the country to pick him up and he was noticeably different, depressed, withdrawn, changed, a shadow of the former cheeky debate captain who had left for university. They took him to a bunch of doctors and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. But he was never treated. He got the diagnosis and then nothing Schizophrenia explained dad's breakdown at university and once they had that explanation, the family moved on. My grandpa didn't seem to understand why I was so dumbfounded by this information. To him, the schizophrenia was one line in a story that he didn't like to tell. He mentioned it like it was an unessential detail in our history, just something he had been told by a doctor one day. But to me, it was the only detail that mattered. If accurate, a diagnosis like that explained so much about my dad. It explained why he went from a promising student to a quivering naked mess in a phone box. It explained why he could never hold down a job and why he started drinking and eventually stopped working completely. It explained the gun and the landlord and the bikies and the drugs. It explained why he filled entire pages of journals believing he was someone else. It explained why sometimes I would pick up the other phone while he was mid-conversation and find him talking to a dial tone. But most of all, if true... 
My dad's having schizophrenia would explain the part of him that had always scared me most of all, his cruelty. He beat my mother constantly, often for bizarre and nonsensical reasons. Once at the end of a dinner at a friend's house, he decided to steal a bunch of eggs from their fridge and hide them in his pockets. Upon finding some of them broken by the time he got home, he took my mum's head and repeatedly bashed it into a wall. He would hide cockroaches at the bottom of her coffee or sneak speed into her food and laugh as her mood went into overdrive and she didn't understand why. He would play mind games with Rhiannon and me, seeming to take pleasure in our devastated begging when he would accuse us of not loving him or tell each of us that we were his favourite and the only daughter he cared about. If my dad had schizophrenia, it would explain all of that. And it would explain why he had spent hours hitting Grandpa with a cricket bat just because he had fallen and couldn't get up. It's much easier to think of your dad as mentally unwell and not just a violent drunk. But I suppose on the night Dad was beating him, it didn't make a difference to Grandpa what diagnosis he'd once been given. The day after Dad saved us with the cricket bat, Rhiannon and I went home. We nervously told Mum what had happened the night before and she was horrified. She called Dad and told him that he was never, ever going to see us again. Grandpa was taken to hospital and Dad was left home alone, forced to face the fact that he had beat his own father, disgusted the woman he loved and terrified his daughters. When Mum told us we didn't have to go to school one morning a few days later, I knew immediately that Dad was dead. She sat between Rhiannon and me on the couch, put her arms around us and told us through heaving sobs that Dad had died. He had been found by a friend sitting in the living room covered in his own vomit. The phone was off the hook and there was an empty bottle of pills. Grandpa, still in hospital from his beating, had to go down to the morgue to identify the body. They both ended up on different floors of the same hospital because my grandpa had fallen over and I had been too scared to help him get up. But mum didn't tell us any of that. When you're little and someone dies, you're just told that they died and you accept it without asking for further details. So sitting there on that couch with mum between us, that's what my older sister and I did. I didn't know how to react. I looked over at Rhiannon for guidance. She had burst into tears, so I assumed that's what was expected of me, but I felt nothing. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't cry. Mum and Rhiannon were both hysterical, and I just sat there in silence, thinking about how now I would definitely win the costume contest at school because how could you not give first prize to the kid whose dad had just died? In fact, I went back to school the next day and was probably more upset about not winning the costume contest with a dead dad on my side than I was about actually having a dead dad. Mum has held my lack of emotion during this time against me for years. Whenever she's drunk and feeling overly dramatic, she'll wave a glass of wine in my face and yell, you didn't even cry when your own father died. Rhiannon couldn't even get out of bed and you went back to school the next day. And it's true, I was emotionless. After the funeral, I spent the wake doing twirls in the church hall because I liked the way my dress fled out like a flamenco dancer's. Everyone kept telling my mom that I was young and I didn't understand, but they were wrong. I did understand. My dad was dead and I couldn't cry because all I felt was relief. I would never have to go and stay with him again. He would never give me toxic butterflies again. I would never vomit again when someone told me he was nearby. I spent a long time trying to force myself into feeling something by concentrating on the one happy memory I had with my dad. I figured if I could focus on that, I could hopefully squeeze out something resembling tears and ultimately get my mum off my back. The memory involves a yellow chair. For a while when I was little, every morning at about 4am, my dad and I would snuggle in a yellow armchair in front of the TV. It was more of a mustard gold than a yellow, but I was five, and when you're five, there are literally only seven colours that exist in the world, so to me this chair was yellow. 
I'd found him there one morning when I wandered out of bed and could immediately tell that something was different about him. His eyes didn't seem as glassy and his breath not as pungent. He scooped me up in his arms and put me on his lap, not struggling at all with his balance. He made me a cheese and tomato sandwich with the crust cut off, which I ate while we watched Rage together. Then I fell asleep, nuzzled into his chest, feeling something warm and comfortable in my body that was completely foreign to me when it came to my dad. It turns out that at 4am, my dad didn't give me the toxic butterflies. I woke up later in the morning, still on the yellow armchair, but now by myself, covered with a blanket. Dad had moved to the kitchen table, and I could tell straight away that our special time was over. He had his coffee mug next to him, which was always filled with scotch, and my stomach turned as the toxic butterflies once again started to flap their wings. But nothing is more of a sponge than a kid desperate for their parents' love. So every morning from that point on, my body would rouse me at 4am like clockwork and I would go and sit with my dad on the yellow armchair, soaking up as much of this fleeting version of him as I could get. Of course, I know now that dad was up at 4am because he couldn't make it through the night without needing a drink. My body was waking up because it craved him. His was waking up because it craved scotch. The cravings for the things we loved, however different, just put us together during a magic window in the day. At 4am, he had slept just enough that he'd sobered up a bit from the night before, and if I got out there before his first mug full of scotch kicked in for the day, I could take advantage of the magic window. I could talk to him, laugh with him, and eat a cheese and tomato sandwich with the crust cut off, all while snuggling in the yellow armchair in front of the TV. It's a nice memory, and I tried so hard to think about that chair whenever I felt like I didn't feel sad enough about my dad, like I wasn't upset enough or broken enough. But that yellow chair would be the chair that he would die in. I literally had one happy memory of my dad and he died on it. He died on it. So when I think about going back to school the next day, when I think about doing twirls at his funeral, and when I think about the fact I never cried, I just think of the chair and I don't feel anything. That's that chapter, Mum. That was really exhausting for me to read. I'm tired. Are you? Yes. Does that make you sad? Yeah, it does. Of course it makes me sad. Do you remember when you picked us up after um, he did that to Grandpa? No. They, you, you got the timeline a bit wrong. We were at Karalika. Were we? And your Grandpa and your dad came and collected you from there because Tumut's only it's close hour, to is hour, an hour and a half away. Yeah. So that's when that happened, when we are in Karalaka and he only just took you for the weekend. They never took you from Sydney, ever. So we went there for the weekend. Yeah, just for the weekend. Then he was to bring you back again. So he brought us back to Karalaka. Mm-hmm. But Grandpa would have been in hospital. So did Dad drive? Yeah. He would have been drunk. I don't know. I didn't think he was. I remember him driving drunk all the time. He was always drunk and I, half the time I didn't even realise. So when did me and Rhiannon tell you then what had happened after he dropped us off? Yeah, this was this was a few days later. This is after I'd left Karalaka and we'd driven back to Sydney because I drove there. Um, that's, that's when you told me, after we were back in um, Deniston. Yeah. I don't remember telling you. Well. What did we say? I just remember how enraged I was that he did this. Did you wonder why he did it? 
No, I don't. I think it's shocking. Did it surprise you to hear? That he did something so brutal to his father, of course it surprised me. That's why I just couldn't believe it. It was so horrible, Mum. No, no, so I know. Bad. I mean, you and you and when you described it to me, I just couldn't believe it. Like, seriously, it was just shocking and, like, I had no idea that anything like that would ever occur. Yeah. I mean, this is why I rang him and said that he wouldn't be having you anymore overnight. And, of course, that would have made it difficult for him because he lived, you Far know, away. four hours away in Tumut. What was his reaction when you confronted him with it? Just not, like, he didn't really have a reaction. Did he admit to it? No, he didn't even go, he refused to even talk about it. I said, how dare you do that in front of our children? How could you have done that? They've told me this information and it's just absolutely floored me. It really did. It was so weird at the time though, Mum, because it was like he thought he was protecting us. It really seemed like he thought that. Like, And so we were lying in the back room, like we were all sharing this big bed with him, me and Rihanna and him, and... Grandpa, like, he couldn't get up and it's cold in Tumut, so he's, like, on the kitchen floor and, like, and every time he yelled out, Dad would get so angry and, like, and say, oh, don't worry, girls. Like, he kept saying it like he was doing it for us. It was really bizarre. It was like he actually truly believed that, like, he was protecting us, which I think is his schizophrenia, really, don't you no, think? I don't think so. Well, why else would he do such a horrible thing? I just don't know. I just think he was a prick, tell you the truth. Can't believe that. He he was always having, you know, disagreements with your grandfather. Had he hurt him before? What's that? Had he hurt him before, physically? No, can't recall anything like that ever happening. Yeah, me either. That's why it was such a shock to me. This is really, like, seriously, Jesus Christ, I was just, got no idea. And then... Worried about your grandfather who ended up in hospital. Yeah. I mean, my God, you know. And so <sighs> then you called Dad. Yes, and I said he was never to have you ever, ever again and was, overnight. And he was upset. And that he can't be trusted and that, you know, yeah, yeah of course he was upset because, you know, you girls, he loved you desperately, mm. you know, and he thought about you all the time. Yeah. I mean, I was aware of that, of course. He adored you. But we shouldn't have gone there. It was, well, it was, it it was, was scary. You, you, it was always scary. You hardly ever went there, Rosanna. You just went there because I was in Karalaka. Well, maybe and that's I just... why you went that's why you went there. It was agreed that you'd just go there for the weekend and you know what I mean? Because he was so close. Because otherwise it, it, you never went to him for holidays or yes, anything. Yes, we did. I don't know when. I don't know what you when you're talking about. Well, I remember going there and hating it. Because I certainly it, wouldn't. Hating it. I certainly wouldn't send you to an abusive environment. I mean, why would I do that? I wouldn't, I would never do that, um, knowingly. So then we tried to call him and his phone was off the hook. No, I tried to call him. Well, like, I mean, so that we could talk to him, right? Yeah, to let you, could, I think it was the next day or something like that. And anyway, the, he wasn't answering the telephone. Yeah. So I tried again. He still wasn't answering the telephone. And he I always thought, answered. He, in he case always it was answered us. it. So I thought, Jesus, wonder what's wrong with him, you know? And that night I went to a meeting, like a women's group, like a recovery meeting. Yeah. Over at Belmore. 
And when I got home, that's when the well, police had visited and yeah, told me that your father had been found dead. To tell, well, to tell me, but they gave the message to and I'll never forgive him for the way he gave me that message. Why? And he? within three weeks, I'd moved out because I thought anyone who can tell someone some some dreadful news like that, devastating news, with a smirk on his face, cannot have any kind of feelings. And I decided right then I was leaving, and I did. Within three weeks, I was gone. I would never forgive him for that. But anyway. You always hated the way I reacted. You I gave you so much shit. No, for I didn't. It. No, I don't. I don't remember yes, giving you shit. You did. Well, if I did, when you were I, drunk. I am really sorry that I might have given you shit when you were older. Yeah, it was a very odd reaction. That's all. And I just remember, and I'll never ever forget. I had to tell you girls. You were sitting on the lounge with the window in the park, mm. you know, behind you, and I had to tell you that your dad had died. This was. In the next morning, actually, mm. after I'd been told, and <laughs> you had no idea how to react. Mm. You, you immediately looked to your sister, and I was just looking at your face, and, like, of course, your sister was just beside herself. But you were just looking at her, and you didn't know what to do. And it, it's almost like you made yourself cry because of you were looking at Rhiannon, and you were taking all the cues off her. But, you, I mean, you're only young. You're only seven. I was eight. But I wasn't sad. No. No, you just, you felt really uncomfortable. Yeah, you know? I was really yeah. uncomfortable that everyone you, you was just crying. Had, you just had no idea what to do. I mean, I, I mean, I might have been crying. I wouldn't have been hysterical. You were crying, Rihanna. I'd, I'd already heard the news the night before, so. Do you think that he killed himself? Well, he's the fellow who found him, his friend. Yeah. But that's the information he gave me. Yeah, there was, was pills. An empty bowl of pills. Yeah, and there, there was pills vomit. scattered around and and he, I don't know why, you'd think the police would have been called, that he tried to clean up the mess. His friend did. Yeah. Because they were super Catholic, I think. Like there was big mess on the curtains and all the rest of what, it. What, like spew? Yeah. And um, this particular friend of your dad's actually, he told, he told me that information. He was the one first on the scene. He found him. Yeah. Because Grandpa and he, was in hospital from the beach. Yeah, and he told me um, that, yeah, that was the circumstances that he found him. I, I don't know why he'd make that up or... I, I think he killed himself. He might have. He might have taken to, yeah. He might have just thought, oh, what, you know, my children, that's, that's my whole life and she's going to take that away from me, you know. Mm. Do you get sad still when you think about it? Yeah. What you do... always cry when we talk about <laughs> Dad. It's like oh, no. you still really love him. I do. Which I don't understand because he just sounds like the worst to me. All my memories of him are just like me being scared and anxious. Mm. And you, when you tell me stuff about him, it sounds like he was really horrible. But then when you talk about him dying, you get really upset. It's like, why, why were you upset? Like, well, because I loved upset? him, Rosanna. That's why. I still don't understand why. I, st I loved him. It was a long time ago now, and I still, I still wish he hadn't died. Do you? Yeah. What do you think would have become of him though if he didn't die? Then I can't picture it. I feel like he would have ended up homeless. Yeah, I think he probably would have. Without your father, 
I don't think there was much chance for him to tell you the truth. Without his without his father. Without his father. Because once after him. without a without a roof over his head, did once his father the family smart. found their family, like his side of the family found out what happened, they flew grandpa over to Perth and he went to live with them. So dad would have he would have had nowhere to go. Yeah. Does it make you um upset that I uh, revealed this stuff about dad in the book? Because I know that dad's brother was angry that I wrote about that night. Yeah. He thinks it should be private, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't think it, it should have been private. That's what happened, so. Does it make you uncomfortable, though, that, like, he's someone that you, like, deeply loved? Like, you're crying right now. I'm not crying. Talking about it. But, like, then all this horrible stuff. I've written all this horrible stuff about him. Not about him. I've just revealed horrible things that he did. It's his behaviour. It's not him as a man. Like, it was the it was the bad behaviour that you're talking about. Yeah. He was very endearing. Yeah. I feel like I never saw that. Yeah. I mean, I suppose I'd, yeah. Things were different for me. I did see it. Were you shocked when um, Grandpa told me later that he'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia? Because oh. you never knew that. I had no idea. And even today, thinking about it and, you know, in the past from when you told me, mm. I mean, he hid it particularly well. As you know, I've worked in mental health for acute mental health for 10 years. Yeah. And he hid it extremely well. Did he, though? Like, if you think back about all the weird shit that he did... I didn't see he he ever responded to auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations, nothing. I, I saw him talking I on ne- the phone no, to no, no I one. I never did the entire time I was with your father. So And he has all those scary journals. His the journals, they they're a different he was matter. Else. There was a lot of rantings and ravings in those journals. He thought he had that whole other life and that whole other I know. And he also took on the life of his brother, Peter. I think he was quite Jealous. Um, jealous of Peter's life and, and his success. Yeah. So it was quite sad. There's a lot of journals that Uncle Peter um, took after Dad died and yeah. he said that he won't ever let me and Rhiannon see them because they're too disturbing. Really? Yeah. Gosh. I saw a lot of his stuff. He must have got it before I got it because, like, I saw it. I lived with your father. Not you hadn't been living him. with him for a while though. Then no, I hadn't. But I knew where all his stuff was. I mean, maybe I hadn't seen the more recent journals. Mm. I know he wrote things about his non-existent daughter Sarah. Yeah. Did you ever talk to Grandpa about what happened? We never said a word because after the book came out, yeah, and Uncle Peter read it, yeah, he told me. He had always suspected something like that had happened that night because Grandpa was in hospital. So he knew something had happened, but he never asked us. And when he read that chapter in the book, he said that he had always suspected that that's what had happened, but nobody ever said anything about it. No, yeah, your grandfather never said anything to me. Well, he even pretended the next morning like nothing had happened. It was so weird. I think he was scared. Yes. So you didn't even talk to him about it at the funeral? No, we never mentioned it. How long was the funeral after? A week later. Yeah. I remember going there for that. Mm. That was weird. Everyone wanted me to be really upset there too. I liked my dress. <laughs> and we were allowed to each take one thing off his um, desk. 
Mm. And I was excited because um, Uncle Peter took us out to Chinese and we got to have honey chicken. Yeah, I remember going. Like, that's the weird stuff. Like, that was, I think that was the, um, that's the night before the funeral. How many people Peter went to the out. funeral? I don't remember there being a lot of people there. I think they were mainly um, church your, people. Your grandpa's friends from church or, you know, from the community. He was quite a likable man. Yeah. Was Grandpa sad? Of course he was sad. No one should lose their child, as they say. Yeah, I just don't really remember a lot after that. I just remember feeling relieved. Mm. Yeah, I remember um, I always um, felt I did the wrong thing. What do you mean? Well, I decided not to view the body. Mm. And then I just thought, no, I really want to see him. One more time. Are you all right? I thought you did go and see him. Because I remember me and Rhiannon were playing in the park and you and Uncle Peter went into the, like, the funeral home or whatever it was. No, I went And I by. thought that's what you were doing. I went by myself. Oh. So did you go and see him? Yeah. I wish I had let you and Rhiannon see him. No, I'm glad that I didn't. Because he just, I mean, seriously, he just looked asleep. Like he was just fast asleep. Yeah. He looked really peaceful. What was he wearing? They just picked a, a suit or something. Mm. Just clothes he'd ordinary wear, ordinarily wear. Because, I mean, it wasn't open, it wasn't an open casket. So yeah. They didn't really have to worry about what he wore. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like Dad was the love of your life? Um, I did then, yeah. Do you still? Probably. <laughs> yeah. See, I even feel bad now that I'm not crying now. That's all, yeah. That's all right. I don't expect you to. Um, yeah, so I really, really wish that you girls had seen him because I think in some ways you didn't really believe that he actually had died. And I rang up and asked um, advice off Mark. Mm. And he said, oh, no, under no circumstances let the girls see Tony, you know. Mm. So, but as I said, he just looked asleep. And um, I think the funeral home were really pissed off that I changed my mind. Oh, because they got him ready. <laughs> <laughs> they had to get him ready for viewing, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you still saw him. Yeah, I saw him. He, yeah, they had, they did it just for me. Well, that's their job. Yeah, I know. But they were pretty annoyed. Well, F them. <laughs> but it, the only thing that got me was he was ice cold when I kissed him on the forehead. Yeah. He was ice cold. Ooh. I'll never forget that. Yeah, when I saw my friend Tony's body last year. Oh, yeah. I just realised they have the same name. Um, that was, I didn't like it. It was really distressing to me. But Tony had been dead a couple of weeks because... They had to fly him back from America, so he. Yeah, and I think he was. He looked. I don't know where. I don't know whether he had been embalmed or anything. Yeah, like he that. had. Yeah, so it's a whole different process, really. And so after I saw Tony, and he looked like a wax figure, like he looked. It was just. It didn't look like him. It was really upsetting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It made me glad that I never looked yeah. at Dad because yeah. I imagine that's what he would have looked like. But I guess if it would, it had only been a couple of days with Dad, so it's different. Yeah, I don't know why he looked like he was just asleep. Because, I mean, I've seen quite a few dead bodies in my life. 
and they don't look like that. Mm. <laughs> like grandma, mum. Oh, yeah, I didn't, oh, I didn't go to that either. Oh, my God, Blake Taylor ran out screaming. She didn't scream. She didn't scream. She, she ca- ran out from the viewing. She couldn't cope with it. Yeah, she came out straight away. That Yeah. I didn't go in. You don't really want that as your last memory of someone, what they look like. Yeah, that's what I thought about grandma. But your father was an exception. He looked like he was still alive and he was just asleep. Mm. But anyway, yeah. Was any part of you relieved? No, I don't think so. No. Really? No. Even though you know that, like, he probably would have gone on to be homeless and had, like, a really kind of sad life that distressed everybody around him. No, you can't. You can't be relieved when someone... <sighs> Someone dies so young, 43. Is he only 43? Yeah. I mean, I'm 50, I'm almost 54 now. So. Yeah. And I was a lot younger when he died. What would you have been, like 30? 30. It's my age. Just over 30, yeah. Well, I was relieved. It just meant I didn't have to go stay with him by myself anymore. Yeah. But I did feel like it was my fault, a lot of it, because I didn't, I should have just helped Grandpa up, you know. Grandpa. I freaked out. Your grandpa's had done that before I was there when he did that. And you helped him up? Yeah. The chairs, those chairs in the dining room, oh my God, terrible. He used to lose his balance all the time. Mm. They'd fall backwards. I don't really have any more questions. Do you have any questions? No, I haven't got any more. That'll probably be the hardest one for you, Mum. I'd say so. We wrap it up. All right. If this episode has caused distress, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Sane Australia on 1800 18 7263 or your GP or healthcare professional. next episode whatever he did he made me bloody pissed off but as if i'm going to stab someone jesus <laughs> but how how would God. we know that we were in the room he was holding the yeah. door shut and you were stabbing the knife yeah through the and door. why did he have to go in there he, he could have gone into our room he had to go into where you girls were he did that deliberately are you really blaming him for what room he ran into oh, and Jesus, not yourself he must have made me, for chasing no, him with the knife in the first me, place he must have made me damn angry <sighs> doing that it was really scary it felt like you were possessed well maybe I was at the time <laughs> is Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. Listener.